on this episode of The James Quandall Show. You know, but I just went with my gut feeling. I remember, though, my parents wouldn't let me sleep with them. And I was scared. And I remember them kicking me out of the bed. And I mean, I was older, too. (laughs) I was probably like in fifth grade. But I never liked that feeling. I felt rejected. On this two-part episode of The James Quandall Show, I had the opportunity to go deep in conversation with Robin Altucher on the subjects of friendship and parenting. This episode is part two, and in it, Robin shared how to teach your children morals and values at a young age, and that we don't need to hide our emotions from our children. It's healthy to be sad, unhappy, and grieve in front of them. Robin shared how to keep going forward and instill a positive mindset in kids, even during extreme heartbreaks that no kid should ever be exposed to. And she shared how raising her children in countries outside of the U.S. impacted them. If you missed part one, please go give that one a listen, too. You'll learn all about friendship and how to make new friends and be a good one. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Robin Altucher. I was raised the same way you're you're describing. I wanted to quit choir at one point before a concert because I was going to have a solo and my parents wouldn't let me. You know, there was all these things I wanted to quit for various reasons, but I did learn to stick with things mm-hmm. and and cuz you, you I think you want your kids to not quit. That's true. Only because it's hard. Yes. Like, if it's because it's hard, that's not a good enough reason. If it's because it's just not interesting anymore, I think that's a good reason. And that's really hard to distinguish. Are you quitting because it's hard or are you quitting because it was the wrong idea to begin with? And That's true. That's tough. Yeah, I don't know. And and, and again, you know, every, this, this is how I feel right now. Like, I change all the time. So, you know, this this podcast may not work well for me later. You know, I may think, wow, you know, see, my kids are sort of like an experiment. <laughs> it's like, well, like they're, they're grown, growing now. And it's like, well, did I do uh, instill, did I instill certain things? Yes, I did instill a very heavy moral compass to the kids. I did. That's one thing. And that was the most important thing for me. Um, now, and how did you do that? Like the right, how did you teach them right from wrong? Because that is so hard and there's so much nuance. Well, it really starts when they're babies, you know, and, um, and it's, and I don't want to say kids are like animals, but, you know, I trained a lot of animals, a lot of horses and it's all, it's consistency. And um, like, for instance, the other day I was with my son, we went hiking and then we went and ate at a, you know, this restaurant and this family came in with, three young kids and see my, my kids are 16 and 18 months apart. So we, I could feel for this family, but their kids were running all over the place and throwing food and, you know, and I, my son was looking, he was like, Oh my gosh. I go, okay. So I want to let you know, do you remember going to nice restaurants? Do you remember? He goes, Oh yeah. I remember that you would sit down with us and talk to us and say, we're going to a nice place. I want you to have, you know, pretend like you're going to grandfather's house. This is what I expect. They were always so good, even at just a young age. If they weren't, they, we left. Like there was, I was an older mom. I mean, my kids, I was 34 when, when I had my first child. And I, you know, I did not like as a, a young adult going to restaurants with, you know, kids running around. So I always thought to myself, I would never let my kids do that. And I didn't. Um, uh, and it's funny because we went to, I went to Austria with them. They were, I don't know, six, four and three. 
And, you know, in Vienna, they do not like kids. They just don't. And uh, we went to this very nice restaurant. And I did. I set them down on the bed before we went up there because it's a hotel. And I said, you are going to be very good. You're going to use your manners. Yes, yes, yes. And so they did. And uh, three people, three little old uh, uh, couples came up to us separately and said, we are so impressed at how your kids are acting. And I'm like, well, thank you. I mean, that was the biggest badge of honor that I think I've ever had, you know, coming from these Austrians, you know, telling me this. So I was really very consistent with, with how I expected them to act and what I expected that they do not lie to me. I rather them tell me the truth, you know, the lying to me is just, uh, uh, it just breaks all trust. You know, of course they lied to me you know, when they're young. But you know. I know. You knew. I knew. And they, <laughs> and they were in trouble from doing that. To this, But as you go old, get older, or, or they, are, they grow older, you, you change your, the relationship with them. And you allow them to understand that there is trust and, and how important it is to have trust with, with a, your parents. And um, then I said, look... It, Telling me the truth is much better than what you've done, you know, if, you, if you're trying to hide from, you know, what you've done. So I would not, I, I, would, I would not get as upset with them for doing something bad uh, if they were being very honest with me. So we, we went through that sort of period, you know. So now that they're older, uh, you know, and I also, before puberty is, I think, the, the most important part is being able to instill this into them before puberty after puberty it's if you don't have some sort of control i don't want to say control but just some sort of you know i guess control is part of it you know with them uh and 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 letting them understand how important it is uh and creating the moral compass, they're not, it's going to be harder to create that after puberty. It doesn't mean you can't, but it's going to be harder for you as a parent to instill that in them. It's, and like a lot of parents make a huge mistake. They think, oh, this is so cute that my child is talking back at me at three years old. You it's not so cute when they're 18 years old doing the same thing. So it's really, I never let my kids talk back to me. I never let them, you know, I never spanked my kids. I mean, never did anything like that, but they did have a lot of time out. They did have things taken away. Um, they were fighting one time in the car and I said, look, I'm going to throw this toy away if you don't stop, you know, and they didn't stop. So I took the toy and I threw it out the window and they all were like so quiet for like 20 minutes. They couldn't believe that I actually threw away their toy. And so, but they never did that again. Um, so it, it's, it's like, you've really have to let them understand who, you know, respect you and respect, you know, their authority. I mean, I'm not an authoritarian person, but it's like, you've got to have some rules and, and parents play such a huge role in, in, in the next generation. You, you know, it's really important. Yeah. And I think that, it starts so early. I mean, way earlier than people are thinking, probably. Oh, for like, sure. Like infants. Infants. Like 
they yes. infants are already wanting it their way right and not your and way are, <laughs> they they oblige them so it's really the infant is is actually training the parent and it shouldn't be that way a lot of my friends were like um they they would just you know think it was cute or whatever you know and let them do whatever they wanted uh they would try to tell me because uh, my kids they slept with us until they didn't want to sleep with us anymore Although we lived in Ghana, so we had a safe room and we all had to sleep in one room. I do have a question about that, actually, because my, my wife and I are um, discussing children and what we want to do and our values and things. And just thinking about a baby being in a completely different room in a crib or a bassinet across the whole house and then waking up constantly through the night, I just think like, well, yeah, that baby's afraid. Like they're alone in a room, completely separate from you, and it's like in tribal times or in the wild. Like that means death if you have no one That's near right. you. No, I. Oh man, I got so much grief from my friends about that. They're like, I cannot believe that your your kids are sleeping with you guys, and that's just like you got to train them young to. Like, but you know, the rest of the world they don't do that. They they do all sleep in the same bed. It's a family bed, you know? And because of that, my kids never had uh, a security blanket. They never had pacifiers. They never had any of these things because they uh, were, they didn't need it. And I think that kids, you know, need these other objects because they are scared, you know, and they, uh, they just use that as a security it is called a security blanket, right? I mean, so it's pretty – I think a lot of it is just common sense, to be honest. Just common sense. If you want your kids to sleep with you, then do it. Don't let society dictate. But the problem is it's like what battles do you pick? Like it's hard if all your friends and your parents and your sisters and other – like I'm just thinking my own mm -hmm. family. If you're doing things completely different than how you were raised, how they're raising their family, they're, that judgment's so strong. Like I can't believe – you're breastfeeding or I can't believe you're giving your, you know, you don't have TVs for your kids in your house, like whatever it is. Like there's all these things that people talk about. Influences in your life, they disagree with it. It makes it so much harder to be different. Yeah. Well, and it never changed me that it makes me, I guess I'm a contrarian anyway. I mean, if someone tells me not to, I mean, I just go hard full into the other, you know, doing what I want to do, but you really have to listen to your own instincts and you do what you want to do and society has to tries to control a lot of things in our life, but you know what? Go with your instincts and do what you feel is best for your family. Um, and if you feel it's best to, to have them, you know, sleep in another room, then do it. You know, it's just, I'm all for just, I don't want to tell people this is right. This is wrong, but just look at what you see you know, kids dragging a blanket around. I, mean, I don't know. Why are they doing that? So that's the experiment. I mean, I, I never had kids before. So, you know, but I just went with my gut feeling on, well, I like, I remember though, my parents wouldn't let me sleep with them and I was scared. And I remember them kicking me out of the bed. And I mean, I was older too. <laughs> I was probably like in fifth grade, I, but I never liked that feeling. I felt rejected. Think about though, if you could have I'm imagining this, and this is very real for me because we're really planning a lot of this sort of stuff. 
But if the kid's laying in the room, they don't. Let's say they're not in the bed. Let's say they're even on a bassinet yeah. right next to the bed right. or a, something right next to you. When they say, "Hey, I want my own room," they're basically saying, "I'm ready to move on to this next phase." Yeah, exactly. And then there is no more security blanket. At least how I'm imagining yeah. it. It's like they graduated, right? right? Where if we just say, "Oh, you're out. You're in this room from day one," and I'm gonna teach you to just lay there and cry all night and you'll figure it out like that's basically us just saying like just cry it out like we aren't here for you almost you know like we i don't know yeah no i don't know i have it's hard you know but there are going to be some things that they're going to cry about that you feel that's not morally right like no you can't go and and ruin somebody's you know property or you can't do these you know so you really have they are a product of you. And I tell you what, I can, when I, when I meet kids, cause you know, w- with my kids would bring their friends home. When I meet the kids, I know who those parents are. It's because they are a reflection of you truly. And, um, uh, you know, now there are some kids that are sick or that turn into be crazy adults. I don't think, you know, you can blame uh, a sickness like that on, on the parents. Um, but just in general, you know, a, a healthy person, um, if they have really are doing, you know, if they're big gossipers, if they're, if they're liars, if they steal, if they do any of these things, well, just take a look at their mainly the mother, you know, and the father, but the mother is the biggest influence I think uh, for kids. Uh, um, you know, not, to, but it is fathers are also a big influence, especially for the boys. But mothers play just a huge role in 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 their in the kids and and uh, developing their their moral compass. Another thing that I did is whenever, like, I gave my son this book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I gave. Yeah, that is that the Stephen Covey, right? Yeah, I gave the one for the teens to my son, but I also gave it to his best friend. So it's like when you want to, you know, help. And this was before they they went into puberty. It was perfect, but you know, you want to when you want to teach your kids something, you want to also teach their friends. Try to anyway, um, because you want them to be around, you know, healthy healthy people. So um, I always try to do that as well, because they if they are around unhealthy kids, they're going to be influenced. Should you be strategic in a way, expose your kids to kids or parents that are more akin to your beliefs or let them just find people naturally? Like how like do you set up play dates with people that are yeah you, have similar values or how does that how do you do that? Um, yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. I mean, it was interesting for us because we lived overseas, so it was easy for me to control. <laughs> I always use this word control, but it was easy for me. Let's just call it set up. You could set up <laughs> that because they had no other influence. They didn't have TV. They didn't have you know commercials you know, TV commercials. They didn't have these things that the kids grow up with now here or back even back then. They didn't watch the same TV shows. They all watched the same shows that my late husband and I watched growing up, you know, Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. And, you know, so my kids are kind of like, they're, they're Xers really in terms of the way they grew up. <laughs> Every, the influence 
uh, is like the influence that we had growing up. So it's kind of funny. So they have old, they were old fashioned childhood. That's right. Exactly. Cause you know, in Ghana, there's no TV in China. There was no TV in Kuwait. There was no TV. So, so are their friends, are their friends their age or have they gravitated to having friends who are older than them because of that? No, I think they're, they pretty much have friends their their own age. Um, but all their friends, most of their friends are, are, uh, foreigners, you know, from mm. other countries. Well, that makes a, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think there's a lot, there's maturity too. There, there's a difference in maturity in other places in the world and they are exposed to potentially a lot more younger. Right. And they, they do. Yeah. It's interesting. All, all three of them, like, you know, they have friends that are, are just all foreigners, uh, which is great. And, and they, I mean, they have an American accent, they look American, but on the inside, there are these third cultured kids that are very different. I'm, I'm curious about your kids being your friends, because that's sort of a trendy thing nowadays. Like, oh, you know, my kid's my friend, like we're best buds. I tell them everything. I'm a little bit weary of that because in my opinion, can't handle the baggage that us adults have. Like they can't handle what we go through. Absolutely. I mean... I think it changes as they, uh, when they become a, a mature adults, for sure. I mean, but I do understand what you're saying. I, I, I've experienced that as well, where, where people, especially like single parents, they're like, oh, but that's my best friend. And the child is only like 15 or something. I'm like, are you kidding me? I always would tell my friends or my kids, I am not your friend. I'm your mother. I never was friends with my children. I mean, I'm just now starting to have that sort of trending relationship, you know, not even yet. I'm still their mother, but I am becoming more and more. I think it's a very gradual thing that you do. Um, You can talk to them about other things that weren't as appropriate back then when they were young. Uh, So that's a stage and it's a long stage to go through, I think. And, you know, you do it a little bit at a time because you're right. Kids can't handle uh, uh, a lot of the stuff and, and, and like these kids that go through these, these divorces, like, uh, it's terrible what the parents, uh, uh do to them, you know, and, and what they throw on them. It's like, yeah. wow, how can you do that? I think we should protect their innocence as long as we can, because the world will get its claws into them. It's a, it's a matter of time. Like, let's try to keep that away as long as we can. And it's, and it, and a lot of times when they say, oh, they're my best friend. I mean, like, what are the, What does that mean? What does that really mean? Are they like gossiping about somebody? Are they? Are well, they you've like, seen yeah. the you've seen the um, Gilmore Girls show, right? Um, I've heard Have you it. Seen it. I haven't really watched it. So, the, Lorelai Gilmore and Rory are the two characters, and she's a um, a single mom uh-huh. and raises Rory, and they are best friends. Like, the mom shares the dates, how the dates went, and what oh, wow. was they did on the date, and like everything it's their best friends and i look at that and i go it makes great tv but it i don't know if it sets up in the show she's a teen and all the way through college wow and and the mom's dating and 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 dating different guys and having trouble going back with the ex-husband and Uh all these things that the girl's being not protected from wow um and then you see through the show the the girl's having similar patterns that she's going through in college and after college, like trust and boundaries Mm -hmm. and honesty with the guys she's dating. And 
um, it's it's a fairly good show. It's entertaining. You can love your kids. I, you sh- I mean, you have to love your kids, but you sh- being their friend, I don't know. That just sounds like boundary problems. For sure. I mean, uh, you know, and they'll lose respect for you too if you do stuff like that. I mean, it's it's you're there, even though you don't know it. They are watching you, and uh, you're their only example. Like for girls, their mother is their example. That that's who they fashion themselves after because that's that's their role model that's the first one that they've had and um boys do the same to their father you know so no matter what you really have to uh if you want to instill a certain you know moral compass or whatever your moral compass is you you really have to walk that walk you can't just talk it because then it's not going to work like They'll they'll call you on it as they get older. They'll say, "Oh yeah, I mean, it's true. They w- they really will. It's just crazy, uh, but it's 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 something that's super important. And I think that you are a role model through life, no matter you know. But that does, but but as you get older, as they get older, the relationship does change, and 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 you, you become their confidant. And, and then they can talk to you about, about more adult things and they'll trust you, you know, and they'll trust that you're not going to share that with somebody else. But you, that's, that's a trust that starts way young, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and you, you hope to continue that trust all the way through life. I would label you just from this conversation as an intentional friend and an intentional mother, as in you didn't just let these relationships happen. Yeah. You put a lot of thought and care and love and patience into it. Oh yeah. Did would you agree? Like, did you? It doesn't sound like you flew by the seat of your pants when you're raising your children. It sounds like you put a lot of thought into what you did and how you did yeah. it. Well, I was very fortunate to be a stay-at-home mom. You know, because uh, you know we did live overseas, and and my late husband, uh, you know, he worked and had the the work visa, not me. Uh, even though I missed, you know, I had to sell my, my business and I did miss that part, but I, I did focus, turn all my focus to my kids. So that was really my main job for the, their whole life was being, uh, a, a mom. So that's why it's so hard for me to fill that gap because that was the most important thing. Do you know what I'm seeing in you? We're, we've been talking now for about an hour, and I see you creating educational content for mothers and fathers in this avenue. You just have so much knowledge, energy talking about this, and it's just, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, would, I would think about it because we need, I know I need, my wife and I need role models we can read and learn from that did things differently than our parents. And we want to be intentional parents and friends, and we need more people like you to share these stories, how, like the actual, like how to do it, like how to be a contrarian parent, because that's scary and hard. And there's if, if you want advice, just tell someone you're having a baby and they'll give you so much advice, it's crazy, but you don't want most of exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, I've had so many people you know, say that. And I may do that. That's one of the things on my list. Um, 
although you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm just, just a pure mom, you know, and my experiments are continuing. So now I've got kids that are, you know, adult now, and I, I can tell you what my, how my experiment has worked. <laughs> On a scale one to 10, how would you rate your experiment? <laughs> I think it's been quite successful. I mean, really, you know, and it's an ongoing study. You know, but I, I feel like it's what I've done and, and my late husband, I think it's it's worked quite well. Yeah, I, w- I think I would love to do that because I do have a lot of experience with the three kids, a lot. And then I, I and I'm sorry that to the to the to the, anyone listening, I promised an episode about friendship, but we went so much more into kids. And I think, though, is everything we're discussing is the exact same things you need in a good friendship. Like we've covered commitment, even though we didn't discuss it specifically. We covered boundaries right. and having fun and trying new things. We didn't really cover a positive attitude. So how did you because that's a really tough one. Like when things are when when things go wrong when you're growing mm-hmm. up, like it's like the end of the world. You have nothing to compare it to. How do you help a kid through those moments mm-hmm. and like positive attitude how do you instill a positive attitude well uh, for instance you know uh my late husband passed away in 2015 and um he had colon cancer he was 50 years old so and it was just just he died like less than 30 days uh, after he was diagnosed and we were living in kuwait during the time and so uh my son was 16 uh my daughter my other daughter was you know see she was 14. And then my other daughter was, you know, 10, something like that. And like, like I said, I was a helicopter mom, I saved them from being, you know, bullies at school or feeling any pain, because you don't want your kids to go through stuff. You know, you don't want them to be sad, you don't want them to be hurt. Uh, But that was something that I, I couldn't protect them from was, was seeing their dad die you know, standing there when he took his last breath. And it's like, it's just the worst thing ever to see, because that's the worst thing that could ever happen to a kid, you know, at that age. And from that point on, uh, I didn't need to protect him really from anything else because they had already experienced the worst, you know? Mm. And so from then on, uh, you know, I, I sort of, you know, wasn't as, protective in a way in in that sense you know i let them experience you know more things so i sort of let go of 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 like of course we had to we had to move back to the states so they were now watching tv you know they were watching you know car, you know the ads and they were you know being exposed you know to uh, everything here you know that they've never really been exposed to so that was hard because you know they did see me, you know, I think it's important for the kids to see their parents sad. I mean, I used to hide that from them and always let them see the good part of, of, of me and stuff. But, you know, when they don't see the sadness or they don't see the fear, or if they don't see, they think that when they have it, there's something wrong with them because they're like, wow, my, my mom never did that. Am I weak? Or, you know, what's wrong with me? I think they have to see those things, you know, but 
in a time when in, in our situation where I, they had never seen me work, they have never, they've always seen their father as, you know, taking care of us and such. They were afraid, you know, not only where we're going to live, you know, like we had to be, we had to repatriate. They, they were six, four and three when they moved overseas. So they had never really lived anywhere else. I mean, they've never really remember living in the States. So it was a huge thing. They lost their dad. They had to go back to their passport country. They had to leave all their friends. You know, it's just so much stuff that happened all at once. And then I had to, I had to actually be strong. I had to let them see that I am strong, even though I felt not strong. I think that was one situation that I feel that you've got to allow the, let the kids know that they're going to be okay, you know, in a situation like that. This is a very extreme situation and not a lot of people have to thank goodness, go through this, but, you know, just allow letting your, your kids see your emotions is healthy. Okay. Uh, especially, you know, as they, you know, as they get older, I think it's important for them to see that. But you also, at this age that my kids were at during puberty or right before, it's, it's, you've got to, you know, let them know that they're, it's going to be okay. And um, I hope I did a good job in that respect. I, I, it was a big blur to me because I was so frightened. And I don't know, you know, I had the company send us to New York City because I had never lived there before. I thought, well, you know, I'll try this. My late husband was from there and I had a small support system there. But man, what a hard city to try to break into and, and like live there without really having to live there. It was so expensive. I had no idea, you know, but I'm glad I did it because, you know, I met my husband, James. Uh, uh, I've made some good friends there. Uh, my kids grew up, you know, going to high school there. They're really proud of that. So, you know, it worked out, but that was scary. That was a scary time. So, yeah, I think you have to be When strong. you were going through that, were you, I understand you were grieving and you were sad and devastated. And did you verbalize in some way like yes i'm going through this but we'll be okay like how did you verbalize that because that's that's my fear of like letting my kids see me sad is like or maybe they don't maybe you don't need to verbalize i'm just what did you do i don't think i verbalized it much i just think it was all action just being there and you know in some in some ways i was trying to ignore the situation which probably wasn't the best thing to do uh, because I really, uh, I had to stay positive. I had to like look forward. I could not look back because. Well, you couldn't shut down couldn't because shut down. you had to, you had to. I had to continue You on. had to keep going. I had to get the kids back, you know, get them right into school. They were in school the second day I got there. You know, and that's hard in New York City because we moved in January and all the, all the seats are taken and New York is a very different I don't know. It's very different in terms of the schools. It's not like you live in a region or an area and you automatically get into a public school there. Uh, this is like, you have to like apply to go to school. So <laughs> that was really difficult. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I went through a lot of, I should not, well, I'm glad I, I, I did move to New York city, but that was a, mm -hmm. that even made it harder for me uh, 
but it, it all worked out in the long run. And it did make me a stronger person too. I always look back at all the struggle that I've gone through and, and I look at it thinking that it definitely made me a stronger person for sure. You know, and that's what we take away from our kids is that not letting them feel a struggle because the struggle is what really builds character. I believe not just, not just, you know, keeping them from pain. I mean, the older they get and, and if they're, if they're, you know, insulated from anything, they're going to fall apart when they're older and not be able to manage it. So the younger you can start that, you know, that's why I don't really helicoptering. It's not something I wish I, I did as much, but I, I think that it worked out. Okay. Um, I feel like their, their moral compass is sort of uh, somewhat gelled before puberty so you just hope that you've instilled a lot of great things in them before that, because after it, it's, it's pretty gelled. I mean, not that they can't change, but they have their moral compass by that point, I believe. That's my belief. And I'm not, again, a psychiatrist or a doctor. <laughs> but in terms of my kids, I feel that that's what, that was the point where if you can work super hard from infant until puberty, you're set. I have so much respect for your wisdom because it's from the trenches. You went yeah. through things that most families have never had to go through, living in other continents and, 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 and losing loved ones and going through transitions of who's the uh, breadwinner in the home and all of this stuff that we normally would think, let me, let me protect our, my kids from any of that happening. Right. Like, let's not have any of that happen if we were to plan it. And I look around and I hear people like the Austrians and saying, oh, don't bring kids here. And my neighborhood is full of people who don't have kids and don't want kids at the Christmas party. Yeah. And I think it's because we're following the wrong advice and our, we're not proud of our kids mm -hmm. and they're not turning out how we would want them to if we were to draw it on an yeah. etch -a sketch in some way. And that makes me think that we might be following the wrong path of these the psychologists and the professionals and the doctors. Like, they might be on the wrong direction. Right. Well, do, do they have kids, number one? And have you, have you met their kids? I mean, that's, that is a telltale sign, right? It's like meeting that person's kids. You're like, okay, now I know that person. Yeah, that should be the interview process. It's, let, me, let me see your kids. Yeah, I'm not going to take your advice on this book here. No way. I don't think a lot of them would want you to see their kids, truthfully. I know. And it's like, you wonder why don't, why don't the Austrians like kids? Why, why don't your neighbors like to have? Well, it's because they, they had the Von Trepp family there <laughs> singing the sound of music through the streets. So they're, they're like, oh, it's, this is just too much for us. I mean, it's like, there's a reason why people don't want kids It's because the, the kids are left to run around and destroy things. I don't know. I mean, I don't want those kind of kids in my home, but you know, you have to look at it as look, you're making a human you are creating a, and molding a human being and you want to create a human that you would like to hang out with as an adult. Right. I mean, that's yeah, you, yeah exactly. I mean, yeah. So yes, it does take time to build those characters, but like I, I, I want to, I hope my kids, have, I like hanging around my kids, you know, 
So I feel like if I like hanging around them, I think maybe other people will like hanging around because they are considerate and they're caring and they're kind and they, they do not, they try not to gossip. I mean, it's a struggle because, you know, the girls especially struggle with that because they, they have friends that do. Um, and they, that's one thing that I have to deal with right now is, is that with one of my, my daughters. So, you know, but she is always talking to me about it and I'm coaching her on what to do. And, and, and she's in college. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting, like that, like the beginning of their, from toddler through, you know, their puberty, I was protecting them physically, their physical bodies from puberty on, I'm protecting their mental, their brain, right? It sort of changes because they're not going to go run out in front of a car anymore, you know, when they're 18, hopefully. Uh, but you do emotionally have to, now it switches gears. You have to help them emotionally. And, and so that's, that's definitely a stage that you go through parenting, which I just figured that one out too. So I have a, a, one more thing I'm curious about. You've been so generous with your time, and I'm just so grateful to, to get to chat with you. But I am curious. I've noticed something in our country, and with your experience overseas, I know that this is different in other countries. We are filling up these buildings, these assisted livings mm -hmm. of people aging, not living with their kids yeah. or their family as they're getting older. Do you have any thoughts on that at all? I do. You know, what's funny is that my parents had uh, homes, um, nursing homes. So it's funny that you guys are doing this. As oh, well. like they own yeah. them? Yeah. Uh, well, well oh, what okay. they would wow. do is they would buy property, like homes within a community, and then they mm -hmm. would put eight to 10 people in there and, you know, and staff it. And then they would go and get in, buy another home you know, and turn that into another. So I don't know if you would. That was my, that was my wife's first job through college mm -hmm. was in a, in a home like that where there was, you know, eight to mm -hmm. 10 people. And then when she graduated, she started um, running like a memory care facility, like a locked unit with 40 people. Wow. Then she was running an assisted living building with a hundred. Oh, wow. um, uh, actually her last job before she quit. And now she works from home with me was a 105-bed nursing home, assisted living, and memory care with 100 employees. Wow. That's a tough job. It was like a hospital, basically. And through COVID, they were doing daily testing and screening, and the doors were locked, and people couldn't leave. If they left, they couldn't come back. Um, families couldn't visit. So she became a de facto family member for these people, too. Like, they're, they're lonely. Like, you know, they were lonely beyond belief. It was hard that there was so much turnover in that business in the last year basically everyone she's worked with most of them have left that business in the last year because of how hard it was through the pandemic and seeing these people die not of covid but die of literal isolation and loneliness oh, God. it's just so you know human beings need need to be around you know other human beings you can't be so isolated it's just so sad and these folks, you know, these 80 and 90 year old women in, in the facility, you know, their kid comes and puts their hand against the window and that's their contact with them from the outside of the building. You know, they don't they don't use Zoom like we do. They don't. Some of them did, but it's not the same as like a, a living, breathing, 
person next to you that you can actually touch. It broke Emily's heart, and she she couldn't she couldn't do it anymore. Like she didn't get in it for the money; she got in it to love people, and so oh, it was too heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I couldn't imagine. No, I feel like in most countries, you know, the everywhere we've lived, you know, the the elders live with the the family and are taken care of. The in Ghana they do that, China they do that, Kuwait they do that. You know, it's only I think in the West that has that does this. And I've told my kids from the very beginning, I'm, you know, even when they're little, I'm like, you're gonna take care of, you know, mommy and daddy when we're old. They're like, uh-huh. You know, so it's like they they know that I'm not going into one of those, you know, and and people say, well, I don't want to, you know, burden them or I'm like, what are you talking about? That's, I expect my kids to, to do things, you know, that's another thing. Parents don't expect their kids to do anything. I'm like, what, what? I expect them to do, unload the dishwasher. I expect them to help. I expect these things from, I, I expect them to be kind. Um, they know my expectations, uh, and, but there's some parents are just like, Oh, I don't, you know, they don't have to do anything for me. I'm like, Oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's just, that's just being a family, you know, I feel and being close. Uh, I wouldn't do that to them. And I know they wouldn't do that to me. Uh, I'm not going to do that to my mom, you know? So even though she probably, you know, she's living in Mexico. She's going to be 80 this year. She lives in San Miguel, Mexico. <laughs> she moved away. So I can't help her. But but if she wants yeah, a place with you, course. she's welcome. Yes. That, absolutely. I think that's in the important part is someone can choose not to. But if they know they're welcome, because that's one of my fears is and I'm already thinking like 70 and 80 with kids that I don't even have, which that's just what I do. I don't know. I'm a 50-year planner. What kind of examples can I set now with my parents to ensure that my kids understand that I want to be in their life when when I'm older and and that I'm not just like, throw, just throw me away. You know, it's like I will have wisdom and, and things I can teach the grandkids at that point or great-grandkids. And I think that's what we're missing in our culture right now. Maybe why we're so off track is this this generational wisdom gets disposed of and not passed on. It's true. I mean, we are, we're, you know, mothers and fathers are creating the next generation of, of kids. I don't know how they, what's going on. (laughs) Something. And in, in China and in China, I know um, that, you know, it's very, very common for the parents to be working and the grandparents to be taking care of the kids from the house and so the ki- the parents go out into the big cities and work and the families are in the village and the grandparents are really raising the kids. Right. That's exactly right. So And think of the way those kids are going to turn out. You know, they're going to turn out great. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I mean, it's it seems see, it just seems natural, right? It just seems natural. It does. It makes sense. It really and, does. And it's like I feel like if we just allow common sense, allow, just allow just, you know, I I really think that is so important it's just to go by you know just how you feel just as a human like what's right you can really 
dig deep into that and past these society norms because society has put such a you know, a shell over human you know humans and and their natural ability to survive and to live that that it's just crippled i think just the world to be honest mm-hmm. i feel like if we if we uh just instill good moral compass to these kids uh uh create expectations of kindness and um you know give them uh of course love with that but boundaries i mean you're going to have a good balance person you know and these are the people that are going to be controlling uh, and, and these countries you know do you want somebody that was abused and you know uh have you know mental problems uh controlling these countries i mean no you you really want good balanced people that are kind and and compassionate and 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 the only way to do that is it starts at home i tell people that don't have kids that we're going to have kids and they say oh i wouldn't want to bring kids up in this world and i said why like my kids can help save this world like yeah. why can't they be part of the solution right and um, we need kids who come from homes that are intentional, as you've described so in our true. conversation, and full of love so they can change the world. I think with your experience in the global, it, it's so much different than here, what's happening. And there's, we're, we're doing things so much different, and there's so much we can learn from these other countries, and there's a lot they can learn from us. But they sure, from my experience, the family system is alive and well in a lot of other places that is missing here. And they're happy, you know, these, and, and, and they're not connected like Ghana. They don't know what they do in China In China. They don't know what they do in Kuwait. You know, it's like they're all and in India. They, they have, you know, the family bed, they all sleep, you know, all together. Uh, There's, you know, but, and these people don't have money, but they're happy, you know, because they have their family. They have, I mean, it's just, that's the whole thing. It's like, I feel like here the, the family's been replaced by m- money. But then we keep searching. We're still searching for something, right. you, you know? But what you're searching for is just, you know, that family, right? And that feeling. And uh, that to me is number one. And and if yeah. we put that number one and, and, but again, here you go. It starts with yourself, Right. You've got to, before you can be, a, you know, a positive parent, a positive person, like you've got to be, you've got to look within yourself and see who you are and be comfortable and like yourself, right? That's what we'll talk about the next time you come on the show, because I agree so much with that. You can't fix something when you're broken. You can't. Yeah. And so that's why I'm wondering if you, you know, find these books on parenting or, or whatever. Look, let's, let's look into their life. I mean, are, you know, are they, uh, what are their kids like? Are they, how are their relationships like? How, you know, that's the kind of stuff you want to look at. That's not out there. They're not telling you that. (laughs) There's no family pictures in the back of the book. That's so rude to say, but because there are good examples. We found some um, good quality big families that are very un- traditional. They're doing old-fashioned 
things together, old fashioned way of, of raising kids, not the new fangled way. And I think um, that's what we'll get back to. That's what we'll get back to. Yeah. Yeah. That I think is, and just, just simple stuff. It's not rocket science. That's for sure. Uh, it's, it's just following your instincts. And I think instincts are so important that you're actually able to hone in on your instincts. And we talked to, to close the loop on everything. I don't know if we were recording yet when I discussed this, but my wife and I are on this sheep farm right now. And speaking of instincts, we saw a baby lamb born yesterday. And within 10 minutes, it cried for the first time, started trying to stand up. The mom was cleaning it off and it found the udder and started drinking within 10 minutes. So the instincts are there. We are just, we just got to stop overriding them with the, all this common sense or whatever. <laughs> it is, it's true. I and mean, what a great experience, you know, uh, that's really neat. And, and going back to just the basic and nature and, and like, I love taking my kids out camping or doing something like that. Just being outside. That's such a blessing to, to, to be able to see how beautiful this this earth really is, you know? So mm -hmm. living in big cities, it's hard to, to do that. And then you get caught up in just that bustle, hustle and bustle, and you don't really get to slow down. So yeah, that's super important. Well, I'm so grateful you came on the chat with me and I can't wait to watch what you do next because I know that you're gonna put your heart and your soul and all the intentionality that you have that I've discovered from this conversation and from your writing and I'm just uh, really excited to witness it and, and, and share it. And thank you so much for coming and thank chatting. Thank you so much, James. I really appreciate it. This has been really fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the review and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show. See you next time.